Uh, with that, I have the privilege of bringing us God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1. Uh, so whether you have a physical Bible or you're following along on an app, it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and then we're going to jump down to verses 26 to 31. Okay, Genesis 1, 1 to 5, and then 26 to 31. If you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, the New International Version. This is the reading of God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, last week, uh, in light of the new year, we launched a new series at our church called The Names of God, and each week uh, we're looking at a different name through which God reveals, uh, uh, reveals um, himself to us through Scripture, and each of these names is meant to give us a tiny glimpse into God's character and is meant to draw us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And I think it only makes sense for us to start with the name of God that's found in the first line on the first page of the Bible. It's the name uh, by which God introduces himself to us. It's this name, Elohim. Okay, of all the different names of God we're going to be looking at throughout this series, this is the one that introduces God to us. It's the one that establishes God as the main character of this story. And we're going to learn a lot of Hebrew throughout this series, so let's say this together, Elohim. Elohim. Okay. The Bible opens with the words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. Okay, there are theologians who say that phrase might be the most important phrase in the entire Bible. You give me those four words and you can believe everything else in the Bible. In the beginning, Elohim. You could spend a lifetime meditating on those four words alone. It's the answer to every existential question ever asked. Before there was a beginning, there was God. Before anything existed, there was God. Everything else was created. Everything else is finite. God is the one, only one who sustains himself. God is the only one who's not bound to time or space because he created time and space. Isn't it so funny that 
we often lose our minds when God doesn't do things our way or on our timetable as though time is God's problem. God doesn't run out of time because God created time. He's outside of time. Time answers to God. You know, throughout Scripture, there are many times when people are yelling at God, they're screaming at Him because He's late. When, God, are you going to come fix my problem? When am I going to have this baby? When are things going to change? And you know how God always answers? He doesn't tell them when. He says, were you there at the beginning? Were you there? In the book of Job, those of you who know the story of Job, this guy had a rough life. Okay? His entire life is falling apart. Uh, he loses his family, his livelihood, his health. And there's this moment in chapter 38 when he's screaming at God and he's like, what's the deal, God? Why do I deserve this? When is this going to change? I've been a righteous man my entire life. Why are you doing this to me? And you know what God, God answers him with? He says, were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Translation, I don't have to give you an answer because you don't even have the right to ask me those questions because you weren't there at the beginning. Your mind doesn't work like my mind works. You don't know what I know and you don't see what I see. You see this tiny reality that is your life. I see everything. I stand outside of the universe. You're not like me. You ever have those moments when someone in your life comes up to you and says, man, you and I were so similar. We like think exactly the same. And in your mind, you're like, I'm nothing like you. Please don't make that comparison. I'm nothing like you. This is the way God looks at humanity. You know, you and I often think God operates on our wavelength. He doesn't. You and I often think that the entire world revolves around us. It doesn't. You know, right now we're living in a time when from a young age, uh, kids are taught the world is your oyster. Everything is about you. Everything is about how you feel, what you want, what's true to you. Well, the beginning of the Bible says otherwise. The beginning of the Bible opens with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. There's only one protagonist in the history of existence. There's only one hero in this story. There's only one necessary being. His name is Elohim. I remember the first time I visited the Grand Canyon with my parents as a kid. And if you ever want to feel small and insignificant, go visit the Grand Canyon and just stand there. And in a moment, you will feel so small you will realize that you are just a speck of dust in the midst of this vast world. And if you want to get really meta, then take a moment and think that even the Grand Canyon, as immense as it is, is just a speck within the vastness of this universe. And if you want to get even more meta, you realize that even this universe, as boundless and enormous as it seems, is just a brushstroke for the Creator is just one stroke of the brush for the Creator. And yet you and I somehow still think the world revolves around us. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, 
Elohim. And we see this name Elohim all over the Old Testament, some 2,500 times. In fact, we see that word 32 times in Genesis 1 alone. Every time we see the word God on the first page of the Bible, it's being translated from that Hebrew word Elohim. Then Elohim said, let there be light, so there was light. Elohim saw that it was good. Elohim uh, so Elohim separated the light from the darkness. Elohim named the light day and the darkness he named night. It's Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. Elohim initiates every action in creation. Elohim is the first to speak. He's the first to move. He's the first to act. He's the first to create. When you and I create something, we're just creating something out of the raw material that already exists. When Elohim creates, he creates out of nothing. It says the earth was formless and empty and that darkness was over the surface of the deep. God looks upon this expanse of nothingness and like a master artist staring at a blank canvas, God begins to create something beautiful with it. He takes what is formless and begins to give it shape and structure. He takes what is empty and he begins to fill it with his goodness. That's why after he creates, God always looks upon his creation and he says, that is good. It doesn't matter what it looks like at the beginning. It doesn't matter how it starts. If Elohim touches it, you know it's going to be good. You know it's going to be good. Elohim takes what looks meaningless and void and gives it intention and purpose. You know, um, I know some people think uh, they're really gimmicky, but um, I love watching those videos of speed painters. I don't know if you've seen this on YouTube. Uh, but they're basically painters who, it's like performance art, where they play like dramatic music in the background, and they're creating these paintings in real time for a live audience. And when, the, when they start painting, at the beginning it looks like they're painting nonsense, right? It's just like splatters and lines and shapes and colors all over the place. Nothing seems to make sense, but there's always that moment at the very end when they flip the canvas upside down, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's beautiful. And it's this image that you could have never imagined when he started painting on the basis of what the thing looked like at the beginning. And when you go to these shows, you have no idea what the artist is going to paint. But you know it's going to be good. You know in the end, it's going to be good. So it's the same with Elohim. We often know, don't know what God is up to in our lives, but we know that in the end, it's going to be good because Elohim from the very beginning has always brought beauty out of chaos. This is who Elohim has always been. Um, anybody who's ever been in a hospital room when a baby's being born uh, knows what utter chaos feels like. Okay, um, I, I remember when um, our daughter was first born. I remember that night very well. And it was 2 in the morning. My wife wakes me up and she's like, my water broke. It's time. It's two weeks earlier than we expected. So I get out of, I jump out of bed and, you know, I got a million things running through my mind. I forgot everything uh, I read on the, on the mommy forums and I forgot everything uh, that I researched. And we're, we're scrambling, we're packing the bags, we're driving full speed to the hospital. 
We get to the hospital, we get in the room, and all throughout the floor, I'm hearing moms cuss out their husbands, and they're screaming, like, and I'm like, oh, dear God, this is going to be so bad. And, and, and we're just, we're, we're scrambling. We don't know what to do. It's our first time being here. Nurse is coming in and out of the room, beeps everywhere, um, and, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Utter chaos. And that day, they were very short-staffed. You know, and, and one of the workers there said, Dad, you're going to need to be involved in this today. And I was like, oh, no. You know, I, I came here to give emotional support to my wife. You know, I was, I'm going to be on this side of the birth. You know, not on that side. They're like, sorry, Dad, we're short-staffed. Grab your wife's other leg, right? And it's just like, oh, my, I don't even know what I'm doing. I, I, like, my wife is saying things to me. I don't understand what she's saying. And then, like, it seems like an eternity passes by, and this OB walks in, calm, collected, like she just got back from Starbucks or something. And she's like, she sits down, and she's like, okay, I think it's time. Like, let's do this. And she's asking us, like, how are you guys doing? We're like, how does it look like we're doing? <laughs> and in what seems like a blink of an eye, out of all of that chaos, in a moment, our beautiful baby girl is in my wife's arms for the first time. And reflecting on that moment, it's, it's, it's crazy to think how profound that moment is. How much beauty can come out of chaos, and yet this is the power of Elohim. This is what we see on the first page of the Bible. And this is so important for us as we step into 22 because let's be honest, right now it's hard for us to see anything in front of us other than other, utter chaos. Our news feeds are all doom and gloom. Our news feeds are all death, disease, hostility, violence, division. And it's easy for us to look at all this and feel completely hopeless and we know human beings don't have all the answers because if we did we wouldn't be dealing with the same problems we've been dealing with for thousands of years for all of our technological and medical innovation and progress we still haven't figured out a way to get people to stop killing each other what we need is elohim what we need is creator God. What we need is a God who is beyond us. We need a God who isn't phased by darkness and chaos. We need a God who creates beautiful things out of darkness and chaos. Perhaps some of you are sitting here this morning and you are looking at your own life and it just feels like there's this huge emptiness and void. You're looking around at your friends and it feels like so many people are thriving so many people are making moves and moving forward in their lives and just leaving you behind. Maybe it feels like nothingness. Maybe all you see is just a blob of chaos and darkness and formlessness and void. No forward progress, no sense of purpose, no potential for change. Maybe some of you are looking at the state of our country right now and feeling discouraged and disillusioned. How divided we are. It feels like we're more divided than we've ever been. Maybe some of you who were hopeful in 2020 because there were some important conversations being had around racial and economic justice are once again discouraged and disillusioned and cynical because it seems like 
all the institutions out there, the church included, are still resisting real ways towards systemic change in the U.S. If you find yourself in that place this morning where you just see darkness in front of you, you need to remember that it's precisely from a place of darkness that Elohim does his best work. It's who he is. And this is why in Genesis 3, when Satan enters the picture and, and, and Satan messes the whole thing up, and sin begins to poison God's good creation, God isn't phased by it. When human beings begin to rebel against God and turn on each other, when everything good begins to decay into a desolate wasteland, God isn't phased by it because God is Elohim. Anyone who has the power to create out of nothing can certainly take what is broken and return it back to its original purpose. Let me say that again. Anyone who has the power to create something out of nothing certainly has the power to redeem what is broken and restore it to its original purpose. God doesn't always do it on our timetable. He doesn't do it our way. He doesn't always do it the way we expect him to or the way we want him to. I mean, honestly, my job would be a lot easier if Genesis ended at Genesis 4, okay? Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world. Genesis 3, human beings mess it up. Genesis 4, God fixes everything that's broken. The end. I'd be out of a job, but we'd be a lot happier. But that's not how the Bible goes. That's not how this story goes. But you see, God doesn't operate according to our expectations because God isn't like us. He's beyond us. His ways are higher than our ways, so it's pointless to try to tell God how to deal with the chaos and emptiness we see in our world and our lives. All we need to know is simply that he will deal with it because that's who he has been from the very beginning of his existence. You got that difficult person in your life who gives you such a headache all the time? You wish God would just take care of it? God will take care of it just maybe not in the way you want him to, or just maybe not in the way you expect him to. He may take care of it in a way that he takes all the chaos and pain that this relationship is causing you to produce something beautiful in your life, because this is what Elohim does. He brings beauty out of chaos. Now, you might be thinking, well, this is great that God sits outside of creation, that God sits outside of time and space, that his ways are not my ways, that he possesses this incredible ability to take what's broken in my life and repair it. You might think, I get that, and I can get behind that. I believe God can do it, but the question is, does God want to? It's one thing to believe God can. It's another thing to believe he wants to. One is a question of power. The other is a question of willingness. The first one is easy to get behind. The second one, not so much. If you're standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon, I guarantee you it will be easy to believe that there is a God who is otherworldly and transcendent and out there because you feel so small. But I guarantee you it will be very hard to believe that God cares about me that he actually cares about my life and my problems and my well-being and my loneliness. It's hard to believe that because at the end of the day, what good is it to worship a God who is beyond our perception if that God could care less about me? 
A church can have all the resources in the world to make a real impact on their community, but if they aren't willing to do anything with those resources, what's the benefit? If they could care less about the well-being of their neighbors, it will not matter what resources that church possesses. And the only way you can believe that a person truly cares about you is if that person is willing to get into the mess of your life. The only way you can be confident that a person actually cares about you is if that person is willing to have an actual relationship with you and all that that relationship entails. So on one hand, we need a God that is completely otherworldly. We need a God who is completely beyond us, and yet at the same time, we need a God who is willing to sit in the mess with us. Elohim is both. If you notice verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Ruach Elohim was hovering over the waters. And that word hovering is a really interesting word because it's translated from a Hebrew word that describes a mother bird hovering over her young. In the opening scene of the Bible, we see a God who is so far beyond us and yet close like a mother. We call this God's transcendence and God's imminence. And the creation narrative, in some sense, is a foreshadowing of the recreation narrative because once human beings messed everything up and all of humanity spiraled back into a state of chaos and decay we needed a god who not only had the power to fix everything that had been broken we needed a god who was willing we needed a god who was willing to come into the mess and this is exactly what he did john 1 says the word who was there at the very beginning became flesh and made his dwelling among us this eternal, infinite God bound himself to time and space, took on human form, and experienced every kind of emptiness, loneliness, and grief in this life. And he didn't just sit on his heavenly throne and look at us from afar. He said, let me get into the mess with you. And on the cross, Jesus was swallowed up in the chaos of the very world he created. I want you to think about that. On the cross, Jesus was swallowed up in the chaos of the very world he created. Why did he do it? Because that's what Elohim does. It's who he has been from the beginning. He hovers over the darkness in order to birth new life. The Bible says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The ugliness and humiliation of the cross were the very means by which you and I were restored, healed, saved, and made right with God once and for all. And what does this mean for our lives today? This means that no matter what you are going through at this very moment, no matter how dark your darkness is, Elohim is there. He's there both outside of it and he's there within it. And we don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know like what all the details are, but what we do know is that Elohim has both the ability and the willingness to turn that darkness into something beautiful. You know what I find so fascinating? is that when God says, let there be light, it doesn't say he got rid of the darkness. 
He said he separated the light from the darkness, and the light he called day, and the darkness he called night. It's this reminder that darkness will always exist in the world. It's not a matter of getting rid of the darkness. God acknowledges that we will experience seasons of darkness, but God has the power to put darkness in its proper place. God has, darkness, God has the power to bring something beautiful out of darkness and chaos. If God can redeem the worst of humanity for his glory, he can certainly bring good out of any situation we find ourselves in. This may be new for you, but this isn't new for God. There is no mistake, no failure, no shame that can deter the purposes of God in your life. And it doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. If you keep reading Genesis 1, and we read verses 26 to 31 together, after Elohim fills, forms, shapes, and orders his creation, he then says in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, the first thing you probably notice is that little detail. Let us make mankind in our image. Who is this us? I thought God was one God. What do you mean, let us make mankind in our image? Well, there is only one God. But we believe that there is one God who exists in three distinct co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. From the first page of the Bible, you see hints of the Trinity. In fact, even the name Elohim is the word El for God in the pluralized form. So there's something about God's nature that God wants to show us in the first line of the Bible. And so he introduces himself as plural, and then this triune God creates mankind in his own image, and he says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, so creator fills the earth, and then day six, he creates mankind in his own image and says, now you go do the same. You go to the places that are empty. You go to the places that are dark and I want you to fill it with my goodness. What this means is that anytime we bring order into a place of chaos, anytime we form and sh shape and nourish and build up, we're being who we were created to be. Images of Elohim. Anytime you create that beautiful Excel sheet at work that all your type A coworkers are like, hallelujah, praise God, You're mirroring Elohim. You're doing the work of Elohim. You're bringing order to a place of disorder. Anytime you build up or encourage or affirm someone who is discouraged or afraid, you are doing the work of Elohim. Anytime you bring two people to a table who are fighting and you serve as a mediator, you are doing the work of Elohim. Anytime you engage in the work of racial and economic justice, you are doing the work of Elohim. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about the great resignation, about people, Gen Zers and millennials, leaving their jobs in droves. And, and I get it. Sometimes there are good reasons to leave. But it's very funny because every day I talk to people in our community who tell me how much they can't stand their job because of how unorganized everything is, how catty their coworkers are, how everything at work is in a state of utter chaos. And I always ask them, what if that's exactly where God wants you to be? 
What if God places you in the spaces that are full of chaos and darkness so that you can image him wherever you go? So that when the whole world is throwing everything into decay, you can be an agent of unity. You can be an agent that forms, shapes, nourishes, and builds up. What if God wants you to fill the places that are empty and void with his goodness? What if God wants you to harmonize the things that are in disarray? What if God wants you to speak words that build up rather than tear down? And sadly, these days, Christians seem to be known more for the opposite. Christians seem to be known more for their hostility than they are for their love. They seem to be known more for their disunity than for their unity. They seem to be known more for creating chaos than they are for fixing it. But what this world needs now more than ever in 2022 are little Elohims. Little Elohims who go to the places nobody wants to go people who are willing to enter the mess of others' lives, people who are willing to do the work of bringing beauty out of nothingness and chaos. What does that look like for you today? And I just want to close with these few questions that hopefully will resonate in your heart that, will, that you will think about as you go back to work tomorrow. What does it look like for you to image the Creator God, Elohim? to be his hands and his feet wherever you go? How would our lives and our relationships and our homes be transformed if we took this mindset to the places we live, work, and play? Do you believe this morning that the same God who formed and shaped every living thing in the universe is the same God who through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection lives in you and is the same God who is making all things new at this very moment, not only in you, but through you. Let's pray. Our God Elohim, the one who created the entire cosmos, the one who created time and space, who stands outside of the universe, and yet at the same time willingly chooses to enter the mess with us. We humbly come before you this morning. Thank you that you are a God who creates out of the chaos, that you are a God who isn't phased by nothingness. You are a God who isn't phased by whatever the world calls uh, a lost cause. You are a God who creates something beautiful. Lord, we look around at our world right now. We look around at our city that, is, that, is still, that still finds ourselves in this pandemic our hospitals that are surging, uh, so many people around us in our lives, friends and family, uh, dying, um, struck by disease, so much pain and grief and loss. And this morning we come and we cling to the power 
of Elohim. The one who doesn't work on our ta- always work on our timetable or do things the way we want him to. But the one who will always bring beauty out of chaos. So as we look forward to 2022, God, I pray for those of us in our community who just see a slate of nothingness. And this morning, I pray that we would remember that this is where you do your best work. This is who you are. Thank you for being Elohim. You are the name above all names. We lift this time up to you in the powerful, loving name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.